You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, we are um, uh, continuing in our series of uh, what's the point of Judaism, taking uh, um, uh, 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 mitzvah by mitzvah, commandment by commandment, um, uh, through uh, the Jewish tradition, um, and uh, trying to investigate um, what is the uh, reason behind that commandment? What, what would the rationale have been for, for that commandment to be given? Um, does it, uh, is, is there a job that it's trying to get done in the language of my teacher, Rabbi Erwin Kula? Is there a job that that commandment is trying to get done? Um, and, uh, and, and if so, what's the job that's trying to get done? And then to ask ourselves, um, is it the best tool to be able to get that job done? Um, are there potentially other tools that we could have used? Are there other commandments that we could have been given in order to achieve that same end? Right. So you say, like, um, you know, the, uh, the the commandment is uh, to, uh, you know, we're just pull something out of the air, right? Uh, the commandment is to wave the lulav, right? And you say that the reason, the the job that that's trying to get done is, uh, you know, is to um, is to uh, put you in a state of happiness and to, to cultivate happiness. You say, okay, uh, is that an effective tool to get that job done? Okay, yeah, it might work. Is it the most effective tool to get that job done? I don't know. Are there other things? God could have commanded bounce on a trampoline on Sukkot. That might have helped too, or or, or to uh, dance the Macarena. Um, so um, could there have been other uh, commandments? Why is it that one specifically? Um, is it the optimal? And we've been using Sefer Achinuch, which is a 13th century uh, halachic uh, text um, written anonymously uh, in uh, Barcelona uh, um, in the 13th century. Um, and uh, we've been uh, uh, kind of going through the trajectory of the weekly Torah portion, um, picking out uh, uh, mitzvot that are mentioned in, uh, in each weekly Torah portion. This week's Torah portion, Devarim, has a couple of commandments, um, but, uh, but they're, they're so, I, I've been trying to uh, um, uh, uh, pick commandments that, uh, that either um, have uh, practical significance for us, things that, uh, that, that, that we do, um, or um, are, um, are uh, classic in their mystery, right? So we, we talked about the, the red heifer, the para aduma. Uh, that's obviously not operative today, um, but it is one of the classic examples of an obscure commandment in the Torah, so we wanted to investigate as to what the reason could be for something like that. Um, in Devarim, there are a few commandments uh, that are not necessarily operative today uh, because they deal with uh, the laws of, uh, of Jewish judges and, and things like that. Um, uh, but uh, in, in, a, in, in an actual court system, uh, um, not uh, not like a, a batedin that oversee conversions and things like that, uh, but like you know courts that try capital cases and, and that sort of thing. Maybe it's relevant to maybe in some ways in Israel, uh, but. Uh, um, uh, but in any event, uh, they're, they're, they're actually very logical commandments, um, so they don't fit the second category, which is, you know, uh, things that are sort of, you know, uh, classic in their obscurity. Um, so we're going to skip over Dvarim, and there's a lot in the next Parsha, Ve'etchanan. We're actually probably going to spend a few weeks on the mitzvot in uh, Parsha Ve'etchanan. Um, Ve'etchanan, if you uh, recall, um, has a couple of famous passages in it. Um, first is uh, that it uh, reiterates the Ten Commandments. Um, with a couple of 
uh, slight uh, differences. Um, and the other uh, uh, very famous uh, um, uh, passage that's in Vedchanan uh, uh, is. No, 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 actually, no, 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 Shema. the Shema, the Shema, the Shema. Oh, that, the Shema. Oh, that. <laughs> um, so, Ba'elchanan is uh, so Deuteronomy as a whole, the whole book uh, has a reputation as being the most staunchly, uh, at least in biblical critical uh, um, circles, as the most staunchly monotheistic book of the Bible. The other books of the Bible um, sort of hedge in their monotheism. They they, they they talk about other divine powers and things like that, um, but uh, but uh, uh, Deuteronomy is very militant in its monotheism, and Ve'etchanan, that parsha is sort of ground zero for that militant monotheism, uh, and the classic example of that uh, is the is the Shema. There's a few other passages. Um, Adonai Elohim Mimal Mitachat Enod Milvado. Right, uh, God is uh, the Lord is God uh, in the heavens above and in the earth below. There's none other like Him. Right, so we have statements like that in Parsha Ve'etchanan, uh, and the Shema is uh, is the classic one, and that one co- itself constitutes a commandment. The word Shema, the word here in that commandment um, is, uh, or, excuse me, in that verse is a commandment itself. Here, Israel. Um, Adonai is God, Adonai is one, right? That is a, that, it's not just a statement of fact um, or, or a statement of claim. Um, it's actually considered to be a command. And the command, if you look at the bottom of page 248 here, the command, or 249 in English, the command is um, uh, mitzvat achdut Hashem, the mitzvah of believing uh, that God is one, or God is a unity. Okay? So uh, we'll, we'll look in the Hebrew, and then uh, um, it's very fascinating what he does with this, okay? So, Shinitztavinu lahamin ki Hashem yidbarach shehu ha-poel kol We are commanded in the Shema, the Shema itself is a commandment, um, to, uh, to believe that, uh, that God, may he be blessed, um, is, uh, the, uh, is the producer of all existence. Adon hakol uh, is the master of all. Echad blishum shituf is one without any partner. Shneamar, as it says, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. As it says, uh, Hear, O Israel, Adonai, uh, um, our God, Adonai is one. Um, or Adonai is our God, Adonai is one. Vizem mitzvat asehu. This is a positive commandment. Uh, the positive commandment, by the way, doesn't mean that it's like a, a, a cheery commandment. It means that uh, it's a, a, an, an imperative, um, uh, as opposed to a prohibition. Eno um, hagada. Uh, it's not an informative statement. It's not. Uh, it's not uh, you know giving you information. Um, it's actually commanding you to do something, uh, and that uh, and the action is uh, is to believe um, um, that God is one. Aval perush shema klomar. Okay, so the, the translation of the word Shema in that verse is, uh, is to say, receive this from me, receive this matter from me, and know it, and believe it. Right? So we're commanded um, a, a principle of belief in, in, in the Shema, and that's what the word Shema means, that's how the commandment works. Ki Adonai shehu Eloheinu echadhu. Know this, believe this, that God, who is Adonai, who is our God, is one. So the proof that this is a uh, an imperative. Um, 
Okay, the proof that this is a positive commandment, an imperative, um, is that the sages of blessed memory um, uh, said, um, uh, constantly said uh, in the Midrash, um, uh, that uh, and this is in order to, uh, we do this uh, um, uh, commandment, or we study this text, or whatever, um, in order to uh, um, unify God's name. Or or in order to receive upon ourselves uh, the, uh, the, the yoke of the kingship of heaven. Uh, the, in other words, God's authority. Uh, that is to say, it's an acknowledgement of, of oneness and belief in it. Um, in it so, in other words, the, uh, this is not only an, an imperative, um, but it is uh, the primary imperative. Right? Um, uh, everything uh, according to the sages, flows from this imperative um, that uh, that that uh, that all Jewish activity um, is in order to um, um, uh, fulfill uh, a uh, a unification of God's name um, and um, and stems from the authority of having one God. Right? If there's if there's one God, then there's no question as to the authority of uh, the commandments that we're that we're going to receive. Um, uh, uh, the, the, you can't you don't decide. You know, well, you know, this commandment you know, may have been uh, Marduk's commandment, and that commandment may have been Zeus's commandment, and that command. You know, so like I'll pick and choose. I'll do the ones that I think are like the ones that I, of the God that I like, and the ones of the God that I don't like. You know, they're not so important. Right, so uh, so uh, so uh, they're saying not only is this uh, uh, an imperative, but it is uh, the primary imperative uh, because everything stems from it. Okay, shoresh mitzvah zo. Okay, so the, so that's that's how he comes to the uh, the the root of the precept. Shoresh mitzvah zo, the root of the mitzvah, uh, yadua, it's known. Because this is the essence of the belief of all human beings. Uh, which is an amazing statement, by the way, uh, because um, a, a, a rabbi um, writing in uh, other periods of Jewish history, uh, and maybe even writing today, would not make that statement. He didn't say this is the essence of the belief of all Jews. This is the essence of belief of all people. Um, and he's living in, in, in Spain, so he's, he's, uh, he's aware of, uh, of, of, uh, of, of Christians and Muslims, etc. Um, uh, and, and so what he's saying there, uh, in effect, is that um, uh, people of those other uh, faith traditions are not, uh, are not idolaters, are not polytheists. Um, uh, this is the essence of the faith of all people. Everybody agrees that there's one God. <clears throat> Um, did, they who, have, did they have any knowledge of like Far Eastern religions, or do we kind of assume not? It doesn't. It doesn't seem like they did. Because um, it's not necessarily monotheist. Well, you mean like hin- like Hinduism and things like that, yeah, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> I haven't come across in uh, in certainly not in ancient, but I haven't come across in medieval. Um, uh, uh, texts, any references to those kind of uh, traditions. Um, it's a little bit surprising that they wouldn't have had any contact with uh, with with those traditions, especially because you know India was at one point part of the Persian Empire, and um, but uh, but it doesn't seem like I've never come across it. Okay. Um, so the so the uh, there really wasn't much indication they even knew there were Jews there. Well, the, that, right, that's true. The, the polytheism that they usually refer to is sort of the like you know very ancient polytheism of uh, of uh, the Canaan no 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 or, or older than that Roman. of the, like the Canaanites and that and then later of the Greeks and Romans. 
So he says, uh, so, so he says that uh, the, uh, the, the root of the precepts right, is, uh, is known, it's obvious. Right, because everybody agrees uh, that there's only one God. Right, any any intelligent person um, uh, agrees, holds on to this uh, to this mighty principle. Okay, so according to the Sefer Achinuch, um, it's obvious uh, what the reason is why we're commanded to uh, believe in one God. It's the foundation uh, for. Uh, 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 for for everything, although he doesn't really say uh, the foundation for what specifically. Um, uh, it's just he says if you're an intelligent person, obviously you believe in one God. I don't need to give you much more of an explanation than that. So I want to turn the question out to you because I don't think that the Sefer Chinuch does a very thorough job here of explaining to us um, what uh, um, uh, what the reason is that we're that that the tradition thinks it's so important that we believe in in one God. Um, uh, you know, when I was growing up in Hebrew school, it was presented like a, um, uh, like a math lesson, right? So if you, you know, if you, uh, uh, if you believe in two gods, you've gotten the equation wrong. You need to go back and check your work, right? Um, if you, uh, uh, um, but, uh, but, but there was never, uh, um, any, any, uh, um, uh, Discussion of, of what values, if any, um, a belief in one God is trying to uh, to, to promulgate. Um, uh, the, well, so I'm gonna. I have a, another thought about it. But the, so um, uh, it's something that 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 I think the Sefer Chinuch and, and many of us sort of take for granted because the the, the, the um, you know the mother's milk of Judaism is the Shema, right? And so we just sort of take it uh, um, as a, as a matter of principle that that. Um, of course, Jews are supposed to believe in in one God. Many Jews believe in no God. But that's fine. But of course, Jews are supposed to believe in uh, in in one God. Um, and uh, and uh, there, there's there's rarely a question as to um, uh, why the Torah would be so um, adamant. Right? The Torah spends a lot of time uh, pushing forward this agenda that there's only one God. Um, you would think that it would have a reason for pushing forward that agenda. So the question I want to put out to you is, um, why do you think that, uh, that, that Judaism is so adamant about uh, uh, monotheism, about believing in one God? What's, what's the value added? What's the job it's trying to get done? Well, you hinted at it, at least for me, slightly before. You don't have conflicting answers to the same question. And that becomes pretty important when you're talking about rules of ethics and morality and how you live your life uh, because clearly these other faith traditions often did have conflicting answers mm-hmm. um, so the unity becomes very important right the, the problem with that though um, is that it, that, that, it's, that it only becomes relevant if I uh, um, agree a on who that one God is or that there is that there is a God to begin with right um, and two that the uh, that the commandments that we're talking about in total, um, are a uh, are, are a product of that uh, of uh, of revelation from that from that one God, right? So I could believe in a, in one God, but a different God um, uh, that uh, um, that that might have given a totally different set of commandments. Or I could believe in one God, but say, and this is in some ways the argument of Reform Judaism. I believe in one God, but I don't believe that that one God produced these commandments or some of these commandments, right? Um, so it doesn't necessarily solve the, I don't know, what do you think? 
I don't know, maybe I'm trying to think of it more from an ancient perspective, because for them it did solve it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right, in a more modern perspective, it may it, it may not solve it. Well, I don't, I don't know whether or not it, it tends to bind a group together, the belief in a common belief that's different from the world around <coughs> you, <coughs> in trying to lead any group, you typically want to have a unifying principle that will distinguish your group so they can have a reason to stay together. Don't know if that works 100%, but that's another thought I would bring. Right. Although the, uh, I think that that's a good one. Um, uh, but uh, the issue there is that works better if, uh, if, the, <coughs> if, if the God that that group believes in um, is exclusive to the group, right? Um, if it's a god of the whole world, then um, it doesn't strike me as a good unifying principle for a particular well, it group. It started to, that way, though. Yeah. Right. But it, it started it, that it, way. It, it's the second word, Yisrael. Who, what does Yisrael mean there? Is it, is it just the family as it comes down, or is it, you know, whatever was at the time he's making this statement before they're about ready to cross over? Well, well and also, you're, you, you've set yourself apart, and now you're going to teach the rest of the world which is if you look at some of the other faith traditions, you know, Christianity and um, Islam that still is the basis for it, so we started it, so it is still unifying and then once you know, they I, I will use this word advisedly the, the Christians corrupted and I put that in quotes our concept of what one God meant we stay separate from them. They still have the faith tradition of one God, but obviously they have the Trinity and whatever. Yeah, I, I, I would, I would maybe uh, adjust the word "corrupted." Well, to, that's why I put it in quotes. To, yeah, maybe like uh, um, reappropriated or recontextualized okay. or reinterpreted. Uh, repurposed is a word we use in the corporate oh, like <laughs> context <Okay>. now. <laughs> Synergy. Yeah. It's all marketing. <laughs> other other thoughts. Um, so I think from a historical context, uh, in a very patriarchal society, the idea that there is one is a comfortable concept. Mm. But it strikes me it flies in the face of a lot of our tradition <coughs> in that um, the relationship between men and women, the relationship between those who are learning together that you require another mm. to learn with, and this idea that there is just one that is over all of us. It's sort of a requirement in a way. It's sort of separated and a requirement. And the other thing I wanted to say is, if if eventually we want to say that God gave us the Torah, then we have to first acknowledge the power of God mm. in our world mm. before we accept <coughs> Torah. So. You know, what, what, what you said made me think of, um, there's, there's a whole body of uh, research right now on um, the divine feminine. Um, and how you know um, the polytheistic traditions um, had male gods and female gods, and even the ones that were um, closer to monotheism would have God in like a divine consort, right? So there would be there would be a, a king and queen, you know, simultaneously. Um, and uh, what Judaism lost in monotheism. Um, it, they they wanted a god with uh, um, and and that god wasn't male or female because that god wasn't a a, a, a living being, um, 
but nevertheless, because Hebrew is gender specific, um, they had to choose uh, uh, one. Uh, they had to choose male, masculine, or feminine language to to talk about God. It was a patriarchal society. They used masculine language, and so they ended up losing um, that tradition of the divine feminine. And there have been uh, moments in Jewish history and movements in Jewish history to try to reinsert the divine feminine into um, uh, into uh, the context of that oneness. So the Kabbalists are the most uh, powerful example of that, where they have they believe in the unity of God, but they also believe that uh, God has uh, um, uh, different identifiable attributes, and there some of those attributes are are um, identifiably fe- feminine. Um, you're talking about. Shlina, exactly, right. Um, uh, so that's what I was thinking of when you were uh, when when uh, when you were talking about that. So, you, but you're but the ultimately the answer is uh, um, uh, authority of the commandments, right? Um, um, good. Um, isn't that somewhat circuitous? Because if the Shema is coming from the right. Torah, well, wait a second. I your comment was, well, I need one God to make the Torah holy, but it's in there. So, is 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 there a circuitous? portion of that. I, I don't know the answer. That, I just put that rhetorically. Or a sense of oneness. Right. Okay. A circle. Right. That's right. That's a big problem. Beyond the, uh, the uh, commandment, uh, then he got the hokaka there. So, if, with all the curses, if you don't do this, or you don't believe in this, mm-hmm. this is what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And uh, going through history, you get a lot of that. Well, so it's it's a, it's a good question. I mean, like, uh, it depends on your theology. Uh, certainly the Bible says that some of the bad things that happened to us in biblical times were a result of uh, those curses coming true. But it gets much more problematic when you get closer to our time, right? So you have, like, tragedies that happened to the Jews, and and, uh, and, uh, and, and there are people that attempt to explain those tragedies um, through... Um, uh, uh, our failure, collective failure, or individual failures to observe the commandments. Um, but you're, but but uh, but but you're right, right? So the um, the, the the notion that there's uh, one God means not only one authority for observing the commandments, but also um, one source of reward and one boss, right? One source of reward and punishment uh, for uh, for for the commandments. Um, I, I think Steve's point is a is a really uh, uh, worthy one to consider, um, which is the. You know, the, the the tendency that sometimes we have for uh, for a circular argument, right? So the the Torah ha- we say the Torah has authority because there's one God, but the only way we say that there's one God is because the Torah tells us that there's one God, um, right? And so you have this uh, um, sort of uh, a circular argument there. Um, which means that uh, I, I ascribe to um, um, uh, the, the schema of uh, um, Rav Sadia Gaon, um, who was a, a ninth century sage um, in, in, in modern day Iraq, what was in Babylonia. Um, and, uh, and, and what he said is that uh, um, there are four ways of knowing truth, um, and all of them have to be in harmony. If any of them are out of harmony, then you have to uh, do some work of, of, uh, of, of reconciling. You got something wrong. Okay? So um, he says that uh, the, the four ways of knowing truth are, um, are uh, 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 revelation, so Torah, um, tradition, so like rabbinic, you know, oral, oral law, rabbinics, 
um, uh, um, experience. So what we what we see in the world and, and what we observe in the world, I, I think experience and, and, and science are, are, are roughly um, equated there. Um, uh, you know what we learn through observation um, and uh, and and uh, and reason, philosophy. Right, um, and so you need to have a harmony of those four ways of knowing in order to to know any truth. Which means that just because the Torah says that there's one God, if experience tells you that there that uh, there's multiple gods, um, then you have to figure out um, uh, uh, which. Uh, thing is leading you astray, um, and uh, and and do more work and do more um, uh, thinking in order to get it the right way. And in fact, that's one of the problems classically with uh, with the belief in in one God is that there's so much seeming diversity in in the world. Um, uh, that uh, that it's hard to imagine um, from a philosophical point of view, from a rational point of view, how does uh, how does the many come from the one? Um, you know, so if, if I have you know one object, if I, I could I could you know take my gold ring and smash into a thousand pieces, but it would just end up being a lot of pieces of one thing, right? And it would be identical in at least its composition, um, uh, which is not really the case of uh, of of uh, uh, of the universe as we know it. There's there's a lot of diversity. So how does diversity come from? From one, which is why um, uh, polytheistic traditions, I think, had a much more simpler explanation for it. Right? Um, many comes from many. Right? Um, but uh, uh, so I, I want to offer um, a, uh, um, a a take from uh, Rabbi Art Green, which I really love, um, and I think not only helps from a, a, a rational point of view um, uh, uh, provide us with a with a, a, a plausible. Um, uh, um, argument for the oneness of God and also a uh, values um, explanation of, of what that means for us. So in the Shema, he says, this is the higher unity, the inner gate of oneness. According to the unity of the Shema, all is one as though there were no many. Nothing but the one exists. God after creation and God before creation are one and the same. You are the one until the creation of the world, and you are the one since the creation of the world. Unchanged, unaffected. The world makes no difference. Its existence is wholly unreal or totally inconsequential from the point of view of the one. Only the one is real. All else, all variation, all distinction, all separateness are but illusion. Then he goes on to say, that despite that, the experience that we have of the world is real, right? So that's the challenge of oneness, right? If, if, if God is one, that means all reality is one, and that all diversity that we see and all reality that we experience is really illusory because it's all just God, right? And, we're, and our, our minds are playing tricks on us to think that we're in a real world, that we're really just in God. Um, and so he says this, um, that uh, um, uh, there's a lower unity, where we encounter God's oneness in and through the world. And life is about these two truths. We realize that all surrounds us, all that surrounds us, all we do, even our own lives themselves, are emptiness and vanity. That everything but the ultimate one is mere illusion. At the same time, we know that each moment in our lives and every person and object we encounter exists through the one as a bearer of its presence. These two truths stand in dialectical relation to one another. They represent the same finely wrought transparent vessel, here seen in emptiness, here in fullness. Our religious task is to see through to the oneness of these two truths, 
to recognize that the one beyond and the one within are the same one. We are then charged to create a human community that lives and witnesses an ongoing response to that insight. This is what it means to be a Jew, nothing less. So he's making, I think, a couple of arguments. The first is an argument, I think, that's rooted in science, right? Um, the, the, um, the, the, the scientific uh, theories about the creation of the universe um, all um, uh, uh, originate in oneness, right? Uh, the one becomes the many by, by um, um, exploding into many, um, essentially, right? And so the, the universe fundamentally is one. Um, there is uh, there is real diversity, um, but in in an, in another way of looking at it, it's seeming diversity uh, because it all originates in in oneness, right? So that's the that's the scientific uh, uh, piece of it. And philosophically, if all is therefore one, right, um, then we are all one, right? And we exist in in a world in which we are all united and all unified, um, and uh, and and where. Um, our, our world is but a manifestation of uh, a fundamental oneness. On the other hand, um, we are real, right? Uh, we are real, living real lives and uh, in, in a real world, um, and each of us is, has a reflection of that oneness, right? But isn't, uh, it, but isn't, uh, um, but, but, but is not um, uh, just an illusory part of a, of a larger oneness. And the religious task, according to Art Green, the task of being Jewish, according to Rabbi Green, and, the, and what the Shema is ultimately commanding is to be a witness to both of those kinds of oneness and to uh, build a community that responds to that insight. That, in other words, that treats other people and treats the rest of the world um, in uh, concordance with the reflection they have of God being one and of all of existence being one. Um, so the so in this schema, and I think that that's a really profound insight to the Torah. Why is the Torah so militant about oneness? I think it has to do with how we treat each other and how we treat the world. If we treat each other as um, fundamentally pieces of God's oneness and reflections of God's oneness, we treat the world, um, other animals, plants, uh, non-living beings, um, the, the environment, if we treat the world as reflections of God's oneness and as an element of God's oneness, um, then uh, we will, I think, be fulfilling uh, what uh, um, the kind of lives that we're charged to live as Jews. Um, so that's not what uh, um, uh, the Sefer Chinuch puts in. Um, it uh, is not necessarily a relation to uh, the authority of the Torah, which may be uh, a piece of it too. Uh, but nevertheless, I think it, it provides a, um, a lot to strive toward and a lot to think about. Uh, have a great week.